Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. So we're finishing up our series, Living Sacrifices, that we've been called as God's stewards to faithfully manage all the gifts that he has given us. And rather than explaining what exactly that means, I'd like to tell you a story, because the truth is that the story of God's people is a story of stewardship. From the very beginning, Adam and Eve were placed in the garden to take care of it, to have dominion over it, to steward the resources of God. And from the very beginning, our enemy has tried to convince us to take that responsibility and put it to the side. See, to be a steward is to to count the cost of what God has called us to do, to consider the cost, and then to take the next step. And in the garden, the enemy convinces Adam and Eve to ignore the cost of eating the fruit, of disobeying their Lord. They ignore the cost, and they take the next step. They eat the fruit, and all of creation is plunged into sin and brokenness and death. So God's people end up out of the garden into this creation that God has called them to live in, to steward over. And as the story continues, God's people have some moments where where they steward well, but far more often they fail to consider the cost. They build a tower reaching all the way up to heaven's not recognizing the cost that their pride would bring. As humanity is divided, as united language is no longer part of the story. God's people multiply and live in the land, and and God raises up through time these, these faithful witnesses like Noah or Abraham. Abraham, who who had been faithful to God, who was a righteous man, and was fairly wealthy and successful and comfortable in the land that he had lived in. And God came to him and called him to leave all of that behind and to move to an unknown land. For out of Abraham, all nations would be blessed. And Abraham considers this and he says, okay, I don't have any kids, and I'm old. And then he says one of the most bold things in all of the story. He says, my wife is old. <laughs> I wouldn't recommend saying that, but Abraham gets away with it. But he trusts in the promise of God even when it doesn't make sense, even when the cost is high. He does what God's people are called to do. He considers the cost of leaving Safety, security, wealth, all behind for an unknown land with an unknown, seemingly impossible promise. He considers the cost. And then despite all odds, he takes the next step. And God holds true to his word. Isaac is born. And as Isaac grows up, one day God comes to Abraham and has another proposal for him. It's sacrifice this only son, this son of the promise. And Abraham considers the cost. 
this child of the promise, his, his beloved son, but he also considers the word and the promises of God that if God promised that all nations will be blessed through this child, even if, he, if it takes him raising him from the dead, God will be true to his word. And so Abraham takes the next step. And God intervenes. God himself provides the sacrifice because lives are at stake. And through Isaac, his children Jacob and Esau, this promise continues. Jacob is renamed Israel and has 12 sons, the favorite of whom is Joseph. Now we know Joseph's the favorite uh, because his father lavished all this praise and gifts upon him, including this coat of many colors. It's been called amazing, even technicolor. It's not quite a direct translation from the Hebrew, but it's pretty close. And Joseph, this favorite son, has also been gifted by God, this gift of interpreting dreams. He's been called to steward that gift, as with any gift, well. And so he has this dream, and he's able to interpret that, that, that all of his brothers will bow down to him. But instead of considering the cost of his next move, Joseph takes, out a, takes the next step. And at breakfast the next morning, he tells all his brothers exactly what his dream meant, and they are furious. And they consider the cost of losing their brother, and they're happy to pay it. So they take the next step. They throw him into a pit and sell him into slavery. And Joseph ends up at the house of an Egyptian named Potiphar. And as he stewards well the gifts that God has given him, he ends up rising up to be second in command, the chief steward of the house of Potiphar. And so one day Potiphar's wife comes in and tries to convince David to commit adultery with her. And so Joseph does what God's people do. He considers the cost. And he tells Potiphar's wife, I cannot do this great evil and sin against my God. So he takes the next step and he flees the room. And his reward for his faithfulness, his faithful stewardship, he gets falsely accused and thrown back into prison. And it's there where his, this gift that God has given him of interpreting dreams comes back into play. He interprets the dream of, of a baker who is going to die, of a cupbearer who will be restored. And the hope is that the cupbearer, when he's restored to Pharaoh's courts, would remember Joseph. And what is Joseph's reward for his faithful stewardship of his gifts of God? The cupbearer completely forgets about him for two years until Pharaoh begins to have dreams. And all of a sudden, the cupbearer remembers Joseph is brought before Pharaoh. And he interprets the dream that there will be seven years of plenty, followed by seven years of famine. And so Joseph is appointed as the second command of Egypt, the chief steward of all of Egypt. And he knows because of this dream, they have to do what God's people are called to do. They have to consider the cost. Because it would be really easy during this time of plenty to sit back, relax, and enjoy. But 
there are lives at stake. And so instead of indulging, instead of relaxing, instead of enjoying, they store up and they save and they sacrifice and they invest. And at the end of these seven years of plenty, the seven years of famine indeed come. And yet through their faithful stewardship, many lives are saved, including those of the children of the promise, Joseph's brothers. They, they come to Egypt in need. They, ha- they have nothing left. They're going to die. And at this moment, it'd be really easy for Joseph to finally get revenge, finally get payback, have a great I told you so moment. And yet he does what God's people do. He considers the cost. That he can't let his revenge get in the way of the promise of God that all nations will be blessed through this family. And so instead, he takes the next step and he is faithful to what God has called him to do. He provides for his brothers. He tells them, you meant it for evil, but God, for good. Do not fear. I will take care of you and your little ones. And that's exactly what happens. The children of Israel find a place in the land of Egypt. And through the generations, they continue to grow, to multiply. They end up in slavery in Egypt, and their God rescues them, calls them out, brings them to a land that they can call their own. And in response... They go through this cycle of rebellion and restoration through the judges. And as that period ends, they look around at all these nations around them. And they say, we want to be like them. We need a king. Because they failed to consider the cost. God himself tells them, you will end up like these other nations. I am the only king you will need. And yet they don't consider that cost. They take the next step, and the era of kings begins. And yes, there are some moments of faithful stewardship, of living out the story faithfully. King David, when he's told that he won't be the one to build the temple of the Lord, instead of sitting back and saying, well, that's someone else's problem, David rallies his entire generation to pay the cost for the temple so that Solomon and his generation will have everything that they need. They go way above and beyond the Old Testament standard of tithing of 10%. They sacrificially give for a building they will never see because for them the cost was worth it. They take that step in faith for something they're not going to see but because the, the story of God, the passing on of this promise was worth it. There are these moments uh, in the era of the kings where things go well, but by and large, the cost that God had told them when they first asked for a king is exactly what happens. They, they follow these kings. They end up rejecting their God. The very temple that was sacrificed to build, they end up worshiping false gods in that temple, and they end up being carried into exile. Yet God himself is the only king that they would need. 
And so God himself comes in the flesh to be their king. And they crown him with thorns. They nail him to a cross. But what they meant for evil, God meant for good. Because the one whom they crucified is the one who faithfully stewarded what God had given him. He counted the cost. He said, if I don't do this, God's people will still be separated from God, lost for all eternity, like sheep without a shepherd. And he knows it will cost him his very life. He considers the cost, but says it's worth it. That you are worth the precious blood of Christ. And so he takes the next step. He carries his cross. He dies so that God's people might be restored back into the family, back into the promise, back into the story. And this redemption, this promise, is fulfilled when God vindicates him and raises him from the dead. And he passes on this ministry, this message, this restoration onto his disciples who don't sit back and say, what's the least that I can give? Uh, What's the bare minimum I can do? No, they are all in. And they go far above and beyond giving, tithing, offerings. They give everything they have. Even their very lives. Because they counted the cost, and the gospel of Jesus Christ was worth it. And so as the church cares for for one another, more churches are planted, the gospel spreads, not through the wealth of God's people, but through their sacrifice and through their blood. And the church grows and continues until one day they forget that they are the stewards, that the riches are not for them. The church becomes so focused on its own wealth, its own power, its own prestige, that the church even begins selling forgiveness through indulgence papers in order to build greater cathedrals and a greater name for themselves. So God raises up a monk named Martin Luther, to call the church back to the story, back to who we've always been. And he is immediately put on trial, asked to recant all of his writings. And he considers that cost, knowing that it could cost him his life. He says, my conscience is bound to the word of God. Here I stand, I can do no other. And if the gospel is reclaimed, as it is given back to the people, the church grows and spreads. And these faithful Lutheran German immigrants come across the ocean. Some of them settle in Perry County, Missouri, and they begin to plant other churches at significant cost to themselves because they know the gospel is not just for them. It is something that is meant to be shared with their their neighbors, with the people around them. And so they begin at significant cost to plant churches, including in 1859, one in the newly established village of Bethalto, Zion Lutheran Church. 
And in 1962, a Lutheran school is added to this church at significant investment, significant cost, because the cost of doing nothing was far greater. See, this is our story. We are here today because of the faithful stewardship, those who have gone before us, who have counted the cost and taken the next step in faith. And we are here today because Christ has paid the cost that we would be in his family. And we're called. The same calling God's people have had all along. To consider the cost. And to take the next step. See, there's a cost for for the ministry of God, for for the church of God. And most of the time we think of it as a cost of, in terms of a percentage, the Old Testament standard of a tithe of 10%, first fruits giving, that's a cost. The New Testament standard of generosity, which calls us to go above and beyond. We think of it in terms of numbers and and dollars and cents. But there's actually a a greater cost that, that is so great, it actually makes our finances pale in comparison to it. And this is what God's people have known all along. The cost, the true cost, is what if we don't? What if we don't do anything? What if we aren't invested? What if we don't give? What if we don't serve? There's a cost. There's a cost for us personally. If, if, if I don't give, if I'm not invested, if I'm not generous, there's a cost for me. See, throughout the story, whenever God's people have a crisis of faith, it is preceded by a crisis of stewardship. When I'm not invested in the ministry of God, my heart ends up going after all these other things, all these other idols, all these other gods. It's exactly like Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so we count the cost. We say, it's not worth it. The cost of, of spiritual damage to myself, to my relationship with God, to my, the ministry of my church is not worth it for me to not be invested. But there's also a cost in terms of ministry. It affects others. You think about the ministry that God is doing in this place. We've had five baptisms in the last two weeks, both children and adults. We're seeing families connected to one another. The children that, that are growing in their, their knowledge, their trust of the Word of God. Seeing the lost and the lonely connected to the family of God. Those who are hurting or sick, dying, grieving, being visited with the comfort and the promises of God. And all of this ministry happens because we have a God who has done everything necessary for us to be brought into the, into the family. And all of this happens because we have a God who invites us to participate in what he is doing in this world. We count the cost and we take the next step whether it's a, it's a step towards that, that Old Testament standard of tithing of 10%, a step towards the New Testament standard of generosity, 
It's a step uh, like Pastor Kale outlined in his Herald article for this month. A, 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 a small step of, of $5 more a week, of five more minutes of service, of praying for five people. Whatever the step is, we consider the cost. And the cost of us not doing anything is simply not worth it. The cost of doing something that actually lasts, changing lives for an eternity through the Word of God, that cost is worth whatever it is that we have to return to God, which He has already given to us. This is our story. Because this is our God. A generous God who gives us all things and who invites us in the story with him. In his name, amen. Now may the peace of God which passes all understanding guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus until he calls you home. Amen.